Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're in John chapter 14 today. We're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, yeah? There, there I am. I think we've got more than two. That means we're pretty blessed right now because the king of the universe is in our midst. Um, I want to read from his word. John chapter 14, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples the uh, night before he's about to be crucified. He's got the eleven with him. And he says to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. You know the, the troubles and the anxieties and the burdens people are carrying this morning, Lord. And I pray right now that they would release them and hand them over to you. Is anyone here who is, uh, is unaware of your presence and unaware of how much you love them, Lord. Make them aware right now. Open up their hearts and their minds and let them receive the bounty of what you have to offer. Lord Jesus, come and minister to us this morning. Come in your word, come in power. 
And may you be glorified today at Emmanuel Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be not troubled. Those are good words. Those are good words. Be not troubled. They know that their Lord's about to depart for a time. And so they have good reason to be troubled. Peter has good reason to be troubled because he just, he's just been told that he's going to deny Jesus. The rest of the disciples, they're distressed. You know, this word trouble, it's the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 12 when he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This is not just uh, irritation or annoyance, you know. This is trouble. This is distress. They're confused. They have good reason to be troubled, but Jesus tells them not to be. And he says, believe in God. Believe also in me. So what do you think the opposite of trusting in God is? You know, I would... I would say the opposite is not trusting in God, right? There's there's a good answer. That's worth the price of admission right there. (laughs) Thank you. (sighs) You know, I've come to conclude, though, you know what the opposite of trusting God is? It's trusting in yourself. That's the opposite. (laughs) That uh, that, uh, serpent of self-deception, boy, that's a a cunning one, uh, um, of self-effort. You know, I was listening to a sermon the other day. The reverend was talking. He said, yeah, you, you got to watch out for that. You've, uh, whatever righteousness you got this morning, you should know that God's not rest with it. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. He said that uh, he's going to give us the fruit of his spirit, not the fruit of our labor. So be not troubled and, and, and trust in God. Because if trusting in yourself, that's the fruit of trusting in yourself. It's anxiety. It's fear heartache but if we would rely on god you know we'd lean on him like you're you're in a high-rise building there's a balcony you're looking over and you're holding on to that rail you know if if that rail doesn't hold you're done for we need to lean into christ like that he said just like you believe in god believe in me and then he he gives these words in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And these are interesting words because uh, on the surface, they sound uh, alike. Uh, he's referring to the final coming, you know, what uh, they call the uh, parousia or parousia. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Um, a real clear description is, is given to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of the coming of the Lord. Let me read that for us. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul's writing to these Christians, and he says, But we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, um, do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And here we go, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So there you, there you have it. At the end of human history, this is how it's going to end. The, the Lord is going to come. And, um, well, I do think that we can apply these words to the, to the coming of the Lord. What makes that a little bit tricky is it's hard to see how that comfort these disciples when he says, I'm going to take you with, with uh, me to be where I am. If he's talking about that, that final coming end of human history, well, we, we know that they're not going to see that. We haven't seen it yet, you know. Um, so I think I think these words equally apply to to what we'll we'll read about more um, as we dig into John chapter 14 to the the coming of the Comforter and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and He is not going to leave His disciples orphans. He's not left us orphans. And then He says, um, you know. Uh, you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas, Thomas asked him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then we hear the words in this very, very well-known Christian verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, you know, I, I can remember um, sitting, with, I was with a friend who, who, was a, who was a pastor, and we were sitting with a, a friend of his, he and his wife, they were having us to dinner, and he was talking about his adult son, who I think was a mathematician, I have a soft spot for, for though, I am one, um, and he, uh, he married a Japanese national, this guy, right, and his, his mother and father, who were believers, said that he eventually fell away from the faith, and the reason that he gave was that uh, you know, he, he looked at all these people who uh, didn't believe in Jesus and you know, didn't trust in him. And he, well, you know, they don't really look like they're, they're material for um, damnation, you know. And that this, this just can't, this can't be right. You know, this, this, this soul, there's only one way. And, uh, you know, I, I can say that I, I do, I do for myself, I sympathize with, with people who hold that view. And, and uh, oftentimes when people preach from this text, they, they go about trying to solve this problem of what's called Christian particularism, you know. It seems kind of um, unfair or even unloving that God would only provide one way. It's not necessarily that it can't be true, right? I think we know that it can be true. I mean, suppose I'm the only person in the world who has a cure for cancer, and uh, someone comes to me and they say, you you got a cure for cancer, I, I hear. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it, a guaranteed cure for cancer. And they uh, say, well, my, my mother's dying of cancer. But um, before I accept treatment, i got to ask you, does anybody else have a cure? I say, not that I know of. I, I'm the only one who's got the guaranteed cure. And they say, oh, well, then I want you to treat my mother. Because <laughs> that's just too exclusive, you know. I, I can't be accepting treatment if you're the only guy who's got the cure. So, uh you know, logically, it's not that it doesn't make sense, but that's not the real objection, right? The real objection is what about people who have uh, never heard, you know, and they've had the opportunity, apparently, to reject. But, 
in a risking being somewhat disappointing, I, I'm not really going to address that. <laughs> because I don't really think John is trying to address that question here. Um, you know, when Thomas is, is asking Jesus this question, um, and he's saying, Lord, we, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? We need to understand something. Thomas uh, knows that Jesus is the real deal. Uh, just like when Peter said, you know, you, you have the words of eternal life. Now, there have been people during Jesus' ministry up until this point that have kind of come and gone, you know. And, and it's the other disciples, for all their faults and failings, you know, Peter and his bravado and Thomas and his doubting, they, they knew that Jesus is the real deal. So for Thomas, this is like a, what they call an existential crisis, you know. It's, it's, this is his reason for existing. He's saying, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to be confused here. Uh, I, I, I need to be sure I know where you're going because I've got to be with you. Okay, Thomas is not searching for the Messiah anymore. He's found him. He's not searching for the Savior. He's found him. He's saying, okay, that's, this is you, Lord. So tell me. And it's in this context that Jesus speaking to Thomas says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way. You know, Jesus didn't come to give us a new religion. He came to give us himself. Now, I, you know, you hear that, you hear that uh, phrase often enough that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? But I, I don't know. I, I get the impression that for a lot of Christians, it is, it is kind of like a religion, you know? And there's different ways that this religion expresses itself. You have the, uh, the nominal Christian, you know, that gets, uh, gets hammered on quite a bit from the, from the pulpit. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they call them CEOs, Christians, right? They, they come on Easter. They come Christmas. Or they might come two or three times a month. But, but when they come, they're, they're just kind of more or less bowing the knee to the unknown God. They've kind of dipped their toes in. But they haven't dove in. And then, but on the other side of the scale, okay, and this, this is equally important for us to realize, you've, you've got the hard-nosed conservative uh, Christians who, who think above all else what they've got to pursue and know is, is purity of doctrine. Now, this is interesting because uh, it, I, I don't mean to suggest that purity of doctrine isn't important. I think it's critical. But how you pursue it is very important. And, and this, it's, it's not often pursued in the right way. It's like holiness, you know. Uh, we ought to be pursuing holiness, but you've got to be careful how you do it. Because if you think holiness is making yourself better than other people, all you're going to do is make yourself unholy and hypocritical. Uh, it's it's uh, not necessarily intuitive, but you, the way you pursue holiness is by pursuing humility. And that's not, that's not immediately obvious. Well, the same kind of thing happens here. You want to pursue purity of doctrine, okay? But the problem is you put that first and foremost, uh, it, it's almost certain you will become hard-hearted. And your doctrine as a result will become impure. That the way to pursue purity of doctrine is pursuing Christ-like love. Because you pursue that, you get purity of doctrine thrown in. You pursue love, you get the truth. You pursue the truth without love, you get neither. Okay? 
And that, that's, that's, that's the reality we got to, we got to face here because it's, it's easier to put your faith in faith alone, right? Or you can put your faith in uh, penal substitutionary atonement or you can put your faith in systematic reform theology and that's well and good, but that ain't worth two straws if you don't have him and he doesn't have you, okay? And we've got to come back, we've got to come back to this time and time and time again. He is the way. Now, we complain about or, or talk about how people, all those people outside the church that don't know that Jesus is the way or that argue about Jesus being the way. We have people in the church <laughs> that, that don't believe that Jesus is the way. They believe that their way is a little bit better, you know. When, when we talk about evangelism, we talk about people praying and receiving Jesus into their hearts. Now, what, what are we talking about there, okay? Are, are you receiving him as a guest? If I believe that Jesus is the way, what, I, what I'm saying is, is, Lord, I need you to be the all in all in my mind, in my heart, in my body, in my soul. I need your spirit to reside in me, to change all of my desires, to change all, and make, make me to be a person who delights in the things that delight you, Lord. I want to be one with you, Lord Jesus, as you are one with the Father. I mean, that's a wonderful thing if you think about it. Have you ever thought about how good it would be if you only delighted in the things that delighted God? <laughs> then you could do as you please, you know? <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of the point here is that we're, we're either growing in that oneness. Now, we're, we're none of us complete, okay? But you're either growing in that oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ or dying or you're dead. And, uh, and, and people get worried about, you know, what, what, what is a complete surrender going to look like? We have reservations about that. And that, again, I, you know, I understand that to a certain extent, you know. I, I don't know what Jesus is going to do with me uh, if I let him in like you're talking about. Well, I guarantee you, whatever he does with you, it's better than what you were going to try to do with yourself. Okay, now, let's about this. Jesus said, this is the kind of master I am. I, I am meek and gentle. And that's kind of yoke, Okay. That, that he offers those who follow him. He is, he is a kinder and better master than you are. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Um, but you could say, well, but I, you know, I don't want to suffer. You know, I don't want to make... <laughs> you don't want to suffer. It, look, it, it amuses me sometimes the way we talk about suffering. We, it, sometimes it's either talked about as if um, Christians are, are the only people who don't suffer or they're the only people who do. <laughs> Everyone suffers, <laughs> okay? Now, that is the common lot of every human being, man, woman, and child on this earth. You are going to suffer no matter if you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist or a Muslim or a Christian. You are going to suffer. Now, you can suffer with Christ, and Christ can be there to support you and encourage you and build you up in your suffering, or you can suffer without him. <laughs> but that's, that's what we're talking about here. That there's, this, this is a win-win-win-win deal, Okay? It's a win-win situation saying, Jesus, I surrender. I was listening to this um, uh, pastor. He was talking about uh, his kids watching a, a show uh, like, like Cops or something that used to, you used to be able to see on television before 2020. Um, and uh, this 
there was this, uh, the cops were making an arrest on someone, and this guy comes out, comes, comes out of the car, and he's got his hand like this, you know. And the, the guy, his granddaughter's watching that, and she goes, is he worshiping? <laughs> and he said, yeah, you got it. That's it. It's, that's, I surrender, God. You're holy, and I'm not. You're perfect, and I'm not. You're beautiful, and I'm not. I surrender. So come in and take up residence, Lord. I'm yours. Everything. I'm yours. Look, the, what is the fruit of the Spirit? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. We talk about joy and peace and, and um, love and kindness and patience and self. These are the things we really want. You don't really want money. You don't really want power. We don't really want to have our own way if we were wise enough to see it. What we want is that, that fruit of the Spirit, okay? The, the joy, the peace, the love. That's what we want. That's what, you know, that's what we need. And that's what's being offered, okay? It's on the table. What's the way? Jesus. This is, this is good news. This, is, this ties right in with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He has graciously provided a way for our redemption. Hallelujah! That's not... We don't need to fight about this. We just say, thank you, Lord. You are the way. But He doesn't stop there. He says, you know, I am the truth. A lot of times when, when, we are, when we're looking at this, that's where people stop, I've noticed. They stop with, I am the way. And they forget, he said a, a couple other things here I think are pretty important. I am the truth. You know, uh, if there's one sin the Bible comes down pretty hard on, it is the sin of, of falsity and deception and lying. And, and let me give you just a couple of examples. This is not going to be exhaustive. But let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 16, okay? There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who soars discord among brothers. Now, you notice that, that falsehood gets tapped twice in that passage. Okay, it's a big deal. These are things that, that God hates. And then you go to Acts chapter 5. Go to the New Testament. Let me read Acts chapter 5, beginning with uh, verse 1. Ananias and Sapphira... A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed with your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped himself up and carried him out and bade him. Now, this, this is a fascinating passage. This is New Testament Christianity, by the way. And the, the presence of God, which, which is everywhere, but here in this early church here, it is so concentrated and so hot that, that in the presence of this, this concentrated Holy Spirit, that, that lying and falsity becomes lethal. And this, this, this misguided man, Ananias, he dies on the spot. Okay, now, that's not a very seeker-friendly church. I, how would you like to be a part of a church like that? Um, you come in and, and your, your sins could be exposed. But, but I, I think this, this ought to make us think twice about this business about um, integrity and honesty. Okay? Um, I'll tell you another story of a, of a guy I heard. He, um, he's, he was a sales of some sort. He didn't get into specifics. But he's, he was working for this guy. And uh, the man, the salesman, he was a, a born-again believer, okay? And his, his boss was um, running shop in a way that he knew was unethical, Okay? But he was, he, was, he was pretty wise about how he, how he handled the situation. He went and he asked his boss, he said, okay, I, I want to make sure that I understand you, okay? Like, like you're saying that this is how you want us to do business. Am I, am I catching this or did I misunderstand? His boss said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, I, I, I can't do this. I can't do it this way. His boss says, well, there's the, there's the door. But, but he, he, okay, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, before you, before you fire me, suppose I do it this way. And his boss says, okay, well, you can do it that way, but you're not going to make any money. He said, okay, okay, fine, fine. Then, then let me just, give me two weeks. Give me two weeks, I'll, I'll do it this way. And if I don't get any accounts, then, then you, can, you can fire me. Now, if any of you know God, you know that God has a habit of showing up when it's almost too late. So sure enough, it was two weeks, it was the Friday of that second week. <laughs> he hadn't done anything, and it was on that Friday that he landed a, a huge account, okay? And he was able to keep his job. Now, now that's what I call witnessing the truth, okay? When we, when we decide to be willfully deceptive or, or uh, to willfully engage in something that is dishonest, what, what are we denying, okay? What, what are we denying? We're denying the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. Now, how is that any different from what Peter did? How is that any? I don't see any difference. If I believe that Jesus is the truth, then to deny the truth is to deny him. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of this, but that's the facts of the matter. And if I do it, Lord knows I need cleansing, I need repentance, I need forgiveness. But there, there are the facts. He is the truth. And we've, to, to, to be faithful servants of this, we've got to bear witness to the truth. Not just with our words, but with the integrity of our lives. And I like how the psalmist says that the righteous man is one who uh, swears to his own hurt and keeps his word. Forget where that's found. Sorry about that. But it is in the psalms. Just read the whole thing and you'll find it. And you'll get a blessing. Jesus is the truth. He's the way and he's the truth. And um, he is also the life. Now, this is something that, that you guys who know me, I, I talk about this a lot, uh, that Jesus being the life, that he, 
He came not only to um, give us eternal life, but to give us newness of life, right? Here and now in, in the present age. He wants us to walk in newness of life. And, um, you know, when you read this story of the prodigal son, this is in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to kind of give my own rendition of it. That's where it's found. Uh, you got the story that the son basically says to his father, you know, I, I almost wish you were dead right now so that I could just get inheritance and do my own thing. He goes and he, he takes his money and he spends it. I think the, the phrase is riot living or something like that. And uh, he runs out of money, ends up feeding pigs, which again, for a Jewish person, this is as low as you can get. Pigs were filthy animals, okay? And now this poor guy, that's his job is feeding pigs and he's so hungry that he's looking at that slop and he's thinking, that's starting, that's starting to look kind of good. And then he thinks to himself, this doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm going to go back to, to my house. And he, go, he comes back and the, the father embraces him and they, they kill the fatted calf, you know, and they have a celebration. By the way, that's a good, that's a good story in and of itself. All you've got to bring is the appetite, you know. The, the father is the one that has all the stuff. He's the one that's prepared everything. He's killed the fatted calf. The celebration is ready. All you need is an appetite. Okay, but he comes. But what the, what the father now, the older son, he, he doesn't like this. And so he says to dad, you know, this is kind of, this stinks that your profligate son has wasted your, your inheritance money and gets this, 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 prop, uh, this party that you're throwing for him. And, and then here's what the father says. My son was... Dead. There's a way that seems right to us that leads to death. He's saying that my son, when he was off doing his own thing, uh, having a good time, he was dead. He wasn't living, he was dead. But now that he's come home, now that he's come home, and he's experienced the goodness and forgiveness and grace and mercy of his Father. Now he is alive. And that's, that's what God wants to give us. You know, that we, we walk in the deadness of this world. You know, uh, in the old economy, in the old nature, the old Adam, you know. No matter what your life looks like on the outside, what you are on the inside is dead, dead, dead. Jesus is life. And whoever has the Son has life. So when we think about everything that's going on right now, and God knows it all, and like, like Pastor Bill was saying, I, I know a lot of people right now who are just they're struggling. And it's, uh, it's heavy to think about. But uh, what did Jesus say? Believe in God. Believe also in me. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And in the midst of, in the midst of it all, we can just be still. You ever do that? You ever be still and know that God is God and feed on His goodness and feed on His truth and feed on His life and you just 
your home just like that prodigal son. You got to we got to come. We've got to come home. Let's pray. Um, Lord, as we leave this place this morning, we do thank you for being so good to us. For the beautiful day that you've given us. And we thank you so much for your word and your light and your truth. And above all, Lord, we, we thank you for yourself. Don't let anyone leave here, Lord, without knowing you. Don't let anybody leave this place. Not now, Lord. I pray that everybody in here, including myself, would yield to the very best you have to give to all of us and to trust and believe in you and to know that your best is better. I pray that we would really believe that, Lord. Shape all of our desires, all of our wants, and bring them into harmony with your perfect will so that what delights you delights us, so that what repulses you repulses us, Lord. Bring, bring us into oneness together here and bring us into oneness with you, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be one with you as you are one with the Father. Because as we sang, you are good. You are good. And we love because you first loved us. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Bless us now as we depart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.